I've been with the company 30 years. Advertising was 70% of our revenue 30 years ago. This year will be 2%. At our peak of our employment, we had 2,400 plus employees, and now we have 425. I'm the fifth generation, a member of the fifth generation of ownership. We are the first generation that has owners who are not employed by the company, as well as owners who don't live in the communities where the company has operations. And so one of the questions we were grappling with is how does one engage as an owner if you're doing it in a different way? And what does it mean to be a responsible owner? How does one engage as an owner? And what does it mean to be a responsible owner? And what if you're struggling as the owner of an enterprise that has been in the family for three or more generations? What would be the right thing to do? Hi, I'm Esther Choi, the executive producer and your host of Kellogg's Center for Family Enterprises' own podcast series, Family in Business, a podcast that features stories of leaders, their families, and the family enterprises they transformed. In this episode of Family in Business, we are blessed with a story of how Todd Schertz led his family enterprise through a major transition. Who's Todd? I'm Todd Schertz. I'm the president and CEO of Schertz Communications. We began in 1872 as a newspaper, moved into radio when that industry began, moved into television when that industry began. Everything was in South Bend, Indiana for the first 88 years of the company's history, and then started moving into other communities, moved into cable, early 1960s, very much an advertising-based business. I've been with the company 30 years. Advertising was 70% of our revenue. 30 years ago, this year will be 2%. So we have moved very much from an advertising-based focused business We exited broadcasting in 2016, and we exited publishing in 2019. And so we are out of traditional media altogether. But we felt like where those industries were going and our size and our risk tolerance, it didn't make sense to stay there. It was time to go elsewhere. It's time to go elsewhere. Todd would summarize the essence of the big move this way, that they've exited industry with very strong headwinds, and enter into industry with very strong tailwinds. That sounds very straightforward and obvious now after everything is said and done. But if you were in their shoes at the time, contemplating even the question of whether you should exit the industry that your ancestors built, might feel at least to some sacrilegious. And how do you figure out the right answer as the fifth generation ownership group? So if you look at the history of multi-generational family enterprises, it's extremely rare that the business they're in today is the one they started out in. So evolution is not only common, but almost a precondition for survival. That's Dr. Jennifer Pendergast, the executive director of Kellogg Center for Family Enterprises. It takes a very strategic leader who is widely accepted, trusted by the shareholder group 
that this person's got it. They have a plan. So what kind of plan did Todd have? Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's set the context. For example, what were some of the major shifts that had nudged Schertz Communications towards this big move? There are four. Number one. I'm the fifth generation, a member of the fifth generation of ownership. So there are eight in our generation. We are the first generation that has owners who are not employed by the company, as well as owners who don't live in the communities where the company has operations. Mm. And so one of the questions we were grappling with is how does one engage as an owner if you're doing it in a different way? And what does it mean to be a responsible owner? And that was a couple of years of conversations. Todd's personal definition of ownership is not just whose name is on the stock certificate. Instead, he thinks of ownership as who is going to take responsibility. We're going to do a deep dive into this very definition more just in a moment. But first, let's find out the other three major shifts. Here's major shift number two. We added two independent directors in 2009. We added a third in 2010. And so there's a change in governance is really a key. Another key part of this was the recession that we went through in 2008, 2009. Ah, the Great Recession. That would be number three. The first quarter of 2009, advertising revenues were down 20 to 30% in every single one of our segments from the same quarter of the previous year. And so we thought we were diversified, and we were in a way, but still when advertising is such a big portion of your business, we were clearly not as diversified as we thought we were. And that began some discussions on the ownership side about what do we want to be and what are our goals, and it was around growth and diversification because our industry started to get more risky, and you could see that happening. The fourth and last major shift is out of anyone's control because there were already some fairly seismic changes in terms of significant M&A activity and parties in the industry whom you saw traditionally as partners and now became far more confrontational and the need to gain scale, to gain leverage in negotiations was driving a significant portion of the activity. Part of that was the public companies, part of that was the private equity, but it was kind of all of the above. So four major shifts. One, changing profile of the family owners working versus not working for the company. Two, Schertz Communications Board evolving to have outside independent board members. Three, the Great Recession. Four, aggressive industry consolidation. With these four shifts in mind, then how did they manage this major transformation process? We decided to exit broadcasting first because we really missed the window for publishing. We missed the peak of the market. But we're very committed to that, and we were never going to sell at that point anyway. But when we looked at broadcasting, where evaluations were and where we thought they were going to go, we basically began the discussion at the board level and then really had a dialogue between the board and the owners to make certain that everybody understood what we were talking about and the options. 
we would do a conference call with all the owners, say, this is what we're going to talk about. Here are the issues. Here's some information. Then we have a third party come in and do individual calls with the owners, get their comments, get their questions. And so they have a chance to know that they have a full voice. And then when we came together as a larger group, that was incorporated into a presentation. So everybody could see that they had been heard and had been considered. In the end of the day, I think the biggest challenge you're going to have if someone wants to totally redeploy is explain to me as a shareholder, if you're going to sell off all these assets, why I shouldn't just take my money myself personally and go do something else with it. That's Jennifer again. And if you see the big industrialists, the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers and the JP Morgans and the Whitney's and the whatever, what they did was they had a big liquidity event. They took their business public, they sold it to someone, and then the family had a whole bunch of money. And usually they created a family office and then they started investing in other stuff. But they didn't take the money from a business and turn around and say, we're going to keep most of this money and go find another business to buy with it. So what you have to fight against is the family's desire to say, you know what, it would be a whole lot easier not to be tethered to these 20 or 50 or 100 or more people in a new business enterprise, I'd prefer to go my own way because as much as I love you, Esther, even if you're my family member, you may want to go off and invest in healthcare and I may want to go off and invest in IT services. Well, Jennifer, I love you too if you were my family member. But yes, the temptation to just take my share and move on could be high. But there's something unique about Tashot's family. And that has to do with what family in business means to his tribe. Family business refers to a business that's owned, it's privately held. It uh, could be multi-generational by nature. Family in business, I think, is actually the transition our family went through a few years ago. And it really had to do with someone asked a question, are there any sacred caps? One of our independent directors said, I need to know the answer to that question. We went to the ownership group. I have a cousin who I thought gave a wonderful answer, and he says, there are no individual assets that are sacred cows, but the sacred cow is that we do something together. The ownership group wasn't attached to any particular asset as they were to each other. That is certainly a critical, if not heartwarming, revelation but that doesn't solve the problem. In fact, the next set of questions has now begun. When we started talking about growth and diversification, the ownership group said, we're willing to look outside of media. And let's say that was eight years ago. The problem is when you say, I'm now willing to look outside of my traditional industry, it literally opens up the rest of the universe. So one has to then stop and think about what does that mean? We were fortunate enough to be in industries or we knew other multi-generational families. So I went to Cox Enterprises. I went to Hearst. I went to Scripps. I went to Washington Post, who had all begun similarly clearly much larger than our company. And I could see where they were at that time. 
And I basically sat with our senior executives and said, I have one question. I know where you began, and I know where you are today. How did you get there? And what was your process? And that usually led to an hour to two-hour conversation. We did that with Evening Post in Charleston, South Carolina. We did it with two or three others on the phone. And so that was a beginning of what is the process and how might we think of this? When we exited the broadcasting industry, we engaged a boutique investment banking firm and went through an RFP process and engaged somebody. Uh, we ended up working with them for three years. And the first nine months, we ended up writing a two-page document that was here are the characteristics of the industry we want to enter and the business we want to buy. And in the middle of that, too, we started kind of looking at industries next door, some not next door, but kind of looking at different characteristics. And generally, that was the senior management team of the business. And we narrowed, I'd say, a field of 12 down to six. And then we did something that um, was fairly simple, but was very helpful. Because the issue we had is we had all these ideas, and everybody said, oh, that's interesting. And then another idea, oh, that's interesting. Well, whenever an idea is interesting, there's a group of us that has to go take a look at the idea. What were some of the industries that made it to the shortlist? Well, cloud communications, where we went into, is clearly part of it. Number two that we ended up liking a lot was human capital management. We're looking at some area within diversified industrials. Those are kind of the three that emerged through the process. There were others, but what we ended up doing is we did a, a poll of our acquisition committee, of our senior management, of our board, and of the 20-somethings in our next generation. Mm. And we said, here are the six that we think might be of interest. You need to vote. And you need to do a first-place vote, a second-place vote, and a third-place vote because we needed to start getting our hands around this thing. And it turned out cloud communications won the vote of every single one of those different groups. And so it was like, okay, let's clearly start looking here first. And it took us, we had someone advise us, they said it'll take you 18 months to two years to do a, a deal in a new industry. And they were absolutely right. So that was kind of how we got to where we are now, and I think the other key choice we made is cloud communications is not that far away from broadband. And because we had done some distributions to owners outside the company so they could diversify outside the business, we felt that it was okay to be next door and adjacent within the business. Based on his experience leading this major transformation, what factors has Todd realized to be important when evaluating new industries or acquisitions? Well, they knew after about nine months, they'll start looking into deals in the cloud. In the first deal or two, they looked at data center assets. And they quickly realized that part of the business or in the industry, the ownership is primarily real estate investment trusts. One thing that the family knew was that they didn't want to be part of an industry where the legal structure put the entity in a competitive disadvantage. Currently, there are already giants in the space, AWS, Inazua, Google Cloud, and then you have the REITs in this part. 
They are asset-heavy people, so the shirts communication group started looking at other parts of the cloud industry, which is people-heavy, lighter on assets, and that fit them. Todd's insight for those contemplating going into a new industry is that you have to find management teams for the company you're buying. Either they want to stay or you want them to stay. You have to have a team because if it's new to you, you may not know what you're doing, and at that point, you can get into a lot of trouble. Our company today is we have five broadband companies. And then we're also in the managed cloud services business. We entered that industry a little over two years ago, so that is who we are today. We are primarily a monthly recurring revenue model. High-speed data services and residential and commercial is our number one revenue source, and storage and the sophisticated services around that security, compliance, things of that nature is our second largest revenue source. That's who we are today. Even though they wanted to stay together and go into business as a family, there was still the complication of risk. Everyone's risk tolerance can be different. So, how did Todd handle that question? His Jennifer's take on it. So they sold off roughly forty percent of what they were making before from a cash flow standpoint. But they're a very mature company, so they're paying off money to people, almost like it's a coupon on a bond. It's a check that I'm used to getting every month as an owner. Todd acknowledged that people were used to a certain amount of cash flow, which is not uncommon for a later stage business. So, how do I help make this transition for people? Because all of a sudden, we have a business making sixty percent of what it used to. Now, over time, the goal is to reinvest stuff so that they'll be able to do that again. But that's going to take some time. And so, in the interim, how do we bridge the gap of the fact that people are used to getting this check every month that you know maybe is paying their mortgage or their kids' college education or their retirement, whatever it may be? So we use some of the proceeds from the sale of the assets and put that into a debt instrument that would retire over. Ten years. It wasn't forever, but for a period of time, he could mirror the payments that were going to owners, and so it would allow him that amount of time to rebuild the size of the company, to reinvest the proceeds, so he could replace the cash flow that had gone away. And so it was both, yes, the visionary and aspirational piece, but also the very practical. How do I look at this from the viewpoint of what it feels like to be a shareholder in this situation, and make sure that I'm doing something that's fair? And I would also say for us, we like to think of it that the business has certainly been a blessing to the family, and we want the family business to be a blessing to the employees and the customers. We also talk about okay, how are we as owners a blessing to the business and these stakeholders? What do we want to be, and what are our goals? These questions remind me of our very first guest. Robert Passon and his family enterprise's story during a pivotal moment of change. When I came into the business 25 plus years ago, the company was really at a crossroads. Consumer preferences had changed, and steel wagons were on the decline. And plastic wagons came out from our competitors, and we didn't know how to make plastic wagons. And It was kind of an you know existentialist threat to our company, and we had to ask a lot of questions like. What is Radio Flyer? Are we a manufacturer? Or are we a product development company? Or are we a brand? And what can we be the best in the world at? What can we be best in the world at? What are our goals? What do we want to be? 
These questions seem to be the ones that families and owners ask themselves a lot, especially during times of transformation. Which is why having a clear sense of purpose is all that more important. We saw it in Radio Flyer's story. We are seeing it in Shirt's communication story. We've seen it in countless family enterprises. Here, Jennifer shares another example. A friend of the Kellogg Center for Family Enterprises and a great Kellogg alum was sharing a story with us of her family selling off the vast majority of their assets, very similar to Todd. We asked the question of her in front of a large audience, was that decision hard to tell the family to keep their money together? And she said, No, that was the easy decision. We see ourselves as operators of businesses. That's who we are. That's what we like to do. That's what holds us together. When my grandfather started this business, he saw operating companies as a way to give back because it provided jobs for people. So there was no question that if we were going to sell this off, that we were still going to do something together. And we've heard this from other people as well. We're good employers. The other element that's so important if someone's going to make a big pivot is that they have to have a really clear sense of their purpose. So people will often say about families that are successful when they sell their business, they spend a whole lot more time thinking up front about what it's going to be like after that sale than they do about the sale itself. As if the sale of the enterprise itself isn't complex, challenging, and time-consuming enough, it is actually after the sale of the enterprise that requires just as much, if not more, upfront thinking. And this upfront thinking will need a really clear sense of purpose in order to guide the process through all the way. The former CEO and current chairman of Walt Disney Company, Bob Iger, has this to say about facing disruption in his master's class. He said, "I think the best way to embrace disruption is to admit that it is happening." Todd actually offers a very similar advice to other family enterprises facing similar situations. I think the first thing you need to do is to be. Honest about the situation. It's important to face facts. What's going on in the industry? What's going on in the business? An industry can be doing great, and the business is struggling. That's one set of challenges. But if the business is struggling and the industry is going through a cataclysmic change, then I think it's important to step back and say, "What is that we're trying to do here?" Craig Aronoff from the Family Business Consulting Group. Did a lot of work with our family, and he talked about a family he did consulting with, where the community where they would do the meetings of the family and where the operations were, the cemetery was up on a hill, where a number of the ancestors were buried, and so when they would have discussions affecting the business and the family, they would talk about the voices on the hill, and they talk about the ancestors and. Craig used that story and said, "Let me ask you, as you make decisions, who do you think about most—the voices on the hill, or the next generation?" And so we went around as a group discussion, and I went last because I was CEO of the company. And I said, "I love my father's generation and my grandfather and everything that everyone did, but if you're asking me to make a decision," That if I think in whose interest I'll do it, I said I will do it 
for my children and their children's generations every single time. My two uncles, who still are both alive, turned to me and said, if you'd answered any other way, we would have been ashamed of you. And so I think it's the facing the facts under where you are and are you still the best owner of those assets? And then if you decide you're not, how do you do it in a way that's congruent with your values and actually brings people together in terms of the ownership group instead of tearing them apart? Thank you for tuning in to Family in Business, a podcast sponsored by the Kellogg Center for Family Enterprises. Thank you again, Todd Schertz, President and CEO of Schertz Communication. By the way, if you enjoy listening to Todd's stories and the takeaways, you won't want to miss out on an amazing range of opportunities to learn from our world-class faculty and leading researchers on family-owned business. Check out our full suite of executive education programs at familyenterprises.net. That's familyenterprises.net. That wraps up our episode this month. Our show is supported and advised by Professor Jennifer Pendergast. Kane Power is our audio engineer. And I am Esther Choi, the executive producer and your host and the author of the book, Let the Story Do the Work. Thank you for listening and let's meet again at the next episode of Family in Business.